You are listening to a podcast from Australia's best-known community radio station, 3RRR, 102.7 in Melbourne. Welcome to another session of Zero G. Thank you to Rochelle for Room With A View. And uh, I'm Rob Jam. And Megan McHugh. And today's episode number 1213. <laughs> <laughs> I'm having a bad headphone day. And it is entitled Rogue One. Our podcast title is Pod Look Now. Both of those titles will be explained, or maybe not, within due course. <laughs> I don't think much is explained in... Uh... <laughs> Uh, Well, congratulations to the InSight mission to Mars. Congratulations to NASA and JPL for landing the InSight mission last week. You've probably seen some of the stuff on the uh, the net. Mm. Solar-powered lander, not a rover, so it doesn't go rolling around. Uh, InSight's objectives include placing a seismometer on the surface of Mars to measure Mars quakes, and they're trying to map the uh, the interior of the planet. Not that they're planning on mining it naked. <laughs> well. <laughs> Not in the future. Uh, and also um, uh, working out on the... Um, using a heat probe to study Mars' early geological evolution. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a digger, so it's got a... A, well, a little like, bore thing on it. Yeah, you know, a hammer that oh, they hammer into okay. the spike, you know. Uh, and um, there's a few other experiments on there, including a camera. I think they just got a standard Hascam and something <laughs> stuck it on. Because there's a lot of off-the-shelf hard- hardware in this yeah. one. Um, and it was also accompanied by two experimental cube sats. Mm-hmm. And these are like about uh, 30 centimetres by 20 centimetres, which is not exactly a cube, but never mind. Uh, two of these they flew, one in case one didn't work. And they just flew alongside it um, after launch. So, like, they, they went to Mars separately on the Mm. same trajectory and they weren't actually supposed to go into orbit they flew past Mars and went on out there into the but these things these things were supposed to actually um, provide telemetry in real time for the landing Mm -hmm. and it's a new experiment you don't need these massive great big satellites just these little purpose built modular ones that can do the particular jobs and I'm just wondering you know like in 200 years time all those little cubes accreted enough encountered technology from aliens along the way to become the Borg cubes oh don't even <laughs> say Borg cubes to me no. <laughs> so anyway congratulations that was a really spectacular mission the way it's all panned out under difficult circumstances and a few stops and starts uh, I've also heard this is a strange one uh, Facebook is streaming all episodes of Buffy the Vampire Slayer Angel and Firefly for free what is streaming it? Facebook what? they've got this thing called um, uh, Facebook Watch so mm. they're trying to get into the um, the YouTube sort the, of the streaming video. space yeah so they've cut a deal with Fox um, mm. to stream these, but they're going to do it interactive. So they're going to have uh, – they've actually already started this in the US, I, I should say. Okay. Um, and they put in, uh, like, watch parties. So yeah, right. So you can do this, like, live and, you know, maybe some of the people who were involved in it will show up. <laughs> maybe. Yeah. Well, Sarah Michelle Gellar sort of uh, announced it, so – 
on, on her uh, Yeah, Facebook right. I page. can see there's some videos and stuff here promoing it. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Yes, yeah, so it has a, an interesting sort of media evolution of the whole Buffy thing, which is like over 20 years old now. So, so is it kind of, I guess, it's going to be a bit of a mould between streaming like a Netflix and YouTube where people can create their own videos and share them. Yeah. So. And also, well, I don't know about... Yes. Maybe be a bit more engaged. The larger sort of thing. Interesting. But, it, but in this, it's like, you know, you can show the thing and everyone can get, gather around the uh, digital water cooler and, and talk about it. The instant sort of geekdom. Yeah, interesting. Very it, interesting. It's time has come. <laughs> and speaking of time, Doctor Who. Yes. The Witchfinders. Yes. Last and week's episode, so we're not going to spoil the most recent one that just came out. We've been joking about, you know, we, we did Sabrina the Chilling Adventures, mm-hmm. and <laughs> it's like, uh, and suddenly there's all this other witch stuff around too. Yeah, because then we did Suspiria, of mm-hmm. course, different yeah. different shade of witch, but witch yeah. nonetheless. And then there was, I think, there was something else too that we were talking about, but yeah. Mm. And then now this and other things that will come to light today too. <laughs> <laughs> So, um, okay, this is written by Joy Wilkinson, who wrote um, Doctor Who, It Takes You Away. That's another um, serial for this season. Okay. And also directed by Sally Abrahaminian, Abrahaminian uh, mm-hmm. who did um, Arachnids in the UK. Oh. And also directed episodes of the television series The Worst Witch. Oh. Yeah. Um, now, I've seen that, actually. It's a kid's show, and it's about a witch school, and it's just kids and stuff. It's just cute. And, and it was fun, actually. <laughs> occasionally, occasionally you get caught up in one of those shows. And, yeah. You know, uh, and Wolf Blood as well. Um, okay. So she's up on her on both witch and lycanthropope shape-shifting tropes. It's not easy to say on a Monday morning. <laughs> so the episode was... Uh, this is the episode that they released on Amazon Prime three days before, <laughs> accidentally, mm. <laughs> instead of um, Kablam. So... <laughs> Ooh, whoops. Whoops, yeah. <laughs> is that a commentary on the, the Amazon-like Kablam company? Yeah, exactly. Anyway, um, in this one, uh, the 13th Doctor, Jodie Whittaker, she tries to take her little posse to the coronation of Elizabeth I. Yes, it's a purposeful... But doesn't quite make it, as usual (laughs) with the Doctor. So there she is with her three companions in more or less in the 17th century and she runs into a witch finder. Actually, she pretends to be a witch finder. Mm. <laughs> I thought there was some fun stuff around that with the whole gender stuff yeah. as well when she just makes a little comment. She's like, oh, if I was still a bloke, I could just get on with things. Well, you know, we, she's dealt with uh, racism and... Um, um, religious intolerance in um, the uh, the demons in the Punjab episode, uh, and now here she is uh, crashing full on into probably some of the most awful sexism you can possibly encounter, where where uh, um, nice little old ladies who just practice herbal medicine, medicine, <laughs> yeah. midwifery. Uh, are put on trial for being witches. Mm. I thought it was interesting they didn't go too much into, like, there was shades of it, but sort of, you know, that psychology of fear and that kind of the group think being part of what fuels those kinds. They went in a bit of a different direction. I thought that Mm. was interesting. Mm. 
Alan Cumming plays King James. Oh, yeah, that was a nice treat. Oh, I thought that was a great idea. It was a good reveal too. <laughs> yeah. Uh, oh, of course we are spoiling last week's episode, but not oh, this yeah. week's one. Yeah, yeah, just in case you're wondering. That's the way we're playing it. That's why we've got the week to, to watch it. That's yeah. plenty. Uh, okay, the um, Alan Cumming had, has appeared in um, uh, Audio Adventures of Doctor Who before. At least oh, has one. he? And he was actually offered the part of the Doctor by Russell T Davies. Oh, interesting. Earlier on, for, not for this one, but uh, another, another iteration. Yeah. But he said he didn't want to spend um, eight months out of the year in Cardiff. <laughs> <laughs> but we also know him as Nightcrawler from X Men Two. Yes. Yeah. He's been in a lot of good rom coms too. <laughs> That's where I know him from. A lot. I, I know him from nothing normal. <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> now he, he actually plays um, King James the first as a as a bit of a. Uh, <laughs> he's not a tyrant. He's a bit whimsical. Yeah. Um, and he's also gay in this too. Yes. Uh, which is actually historically kind of accurate. As I haven't read too much about it, but there was actually, and this is a joke from the, the historical period, it was like we've had Elizabeth as king, now we've got James as queen. That was the joke they made back in oh, the day. Oh wow, really? So it was it was quite open, and and, and so he actually flirts with um, with uh, Ryan mm. from the the Doctor's crew, and, and it actually quite works quite nicely to give him a little bit of extra character depth. Yeah. In this, uh, and he's he's actually he actually did write a book about um, witches too, King James, not mm-hmm. Alan Cumming, <laughs> <laughs> and. Um, uh, had uh, interesting things to say about reforming the Bible. Of course, the King James edition of the Bible and lots of other strange little things uh, in the wake of the uh, fairly successful Elizabethan mm. monarchy. He's actually, uh, I think, um, Mary, Queen of Scots' son, and she, of course, was executed by Elizabeth. Yep. And he was King of um, Scotland. Uh, and then when Elizabeth died without heirs, he became King of Scotland and England huh? as well. So it's kind of Okay, interesting that's interesting. Lineage. I didn't know that. Yeah. Uh, let's see how educational Doctor Who is. Yeah. You, you see these things, you go, I want to know more. So you go and look it all up. That's that's my little plug for the show. <laughs> uh, we had um, Siobhan Finneran playing Becca Savage, the... Um, the, uh, the the lady of the manor who was uh-huh. in charge of this little town that was supposedly beset by witches, yes. and actually was well more Satan really. There yeah, was a lot of Satan, that's yeah. Right. But it wasn't just it wasn't witches as such. It was aliens who'd been imprisoned under a mound in that town. Exactly. That town. Uh, just to make it science fictiony. Yeah, just to add in the little uh, intergalactic flavour. I've seen her before in the first three seasons of Downton Abbey, where she plays this sort of embittered servant. <laughs> She's pretty good at the embittered thing, I guess. Yeah, she was also in the Supernatural series uh, Midwinter of the Spirit, so hmm. she's got a bit of chops there. I actually thought she played that role really quite effectively. Yeah, um, it could have been just a villainess, but there's a little bit more in that. Yeah, there is. I mean, I feel it. I don't think it's the best portrayal of that type of character mm. that I've seen. But. Mm. Yeah, she wasn't like Penelope Keith in The Man of Born or anything. But. Like, I didn't feel <laughs> she didn't overly frustrate me and I didn't feel a lot of sympathy towards her. So it wasn't really achieving either of the two yeah. uh, directions it was go- going in. So, so she anyway. thinks she sort of got um, stuck in the middle there a little bit. Mm. Yeah. yeah, not enough of either, unfortunately, I think. So but. it's like 17th, 17th century Lancashire. So they're kind of, you know, Graham's kind of at home there, even though it's well in the past. And he seems to know a lot about 
um, <laughs> sort of that that period, I think, <laughs> which I thought was quite cute that he'd been on those tours of that area, like in the present time. He'd and, probably driven the bus. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but he is sort of aware of that area and, and yes, things like that, which he, I like. He points out the little hill and says yeah. that's so-and-so and, and his, his uh, woodcraft law comes into play at one stage where he says, ah, there's there's holly on the ground without hollyoaks or something like that. I, thought, I think they're giving him enough, like realistically, a lot to contribute, which I think is quite nice. The zombies in this who are the alien manifestations once they've taken over people and stuff they reminded me of several different creatures from doctor who's past mm-hmm. um but um you know the, I, I thought they were reasonably effective except for one uh, one scene when um, the, the lead mud zombie is standing there declaiming their cunning plan or whatever and behind them the um the sort of minion mud zombies yes one of them's mugging to like they're, they're all just been obviously told just stand there and look worship and be a bit yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm just thinking, oh guys, you're a little bit too, you know, adoring. You've gone a bit far. Bit far yeah. this. And, and talking about useless, what about the king's guards? Oh, they're supposed yeah. to be guarding the king of the, of the very you know, very useless. <laughs> they're just standing there. With their, and they're silly hats. This is a show. For, this was an episode with very silly hats. In they, it. Yeah, the, the costumes are pretty, yeah. Yeah, but they are accurate. You know, yeah, exactly, times. exactly. Uh, and, and I thought the ending of this one um, with, every, the, with King James standing outside watching mm-hmm, mm-hmm. as the TARDIS disappears and he, and he says, where did they go? <laughs> That's a, that is such a classic Doctor Who ending. From, is it? Oh, it's so about a hundred stories over the years you know just they, they got the, oh what's happening here the things yeah right what did you think of this one? Oh, look i i enjoyed it mm. i don't think i don't think it's the i've not enjoyed it as much as some of the other episodes um i mean i'm always interested by those historical ones and especially ones that kind of take on witch trial stuff and and whatnot and i just don't think it really lent into that mm. I mean, I guess it did. I don't know. It didn't do much for me, to be honest. There was a couple of good moments. I enjoyed it. I did. Um, I wouldn't say it was one of my favourite ones of the episodes I've seen. I felt like they sprinkled the aliens over them like a seasoning. Yeah, I I feel it just wasn't quite cobbled together Mm. as fully as it could have been, maybe. I I suppose it it is interesting to see how the Doctor does deal with sexism because, you know, if you're going to go to any place, that's one Mm. of the, you know, witches and stuff. Yeah, like puritanical. Puritanical, yeah. I mean, it, it was good, like it was solid, but, uh, and I, like I said, I did enjoy it, but I don't think in terms of um, episodes or things that I've seen tackle that type of subject matter, I don't think it's up there for me. Mm. And they didn't have the creepy factor of the spiders, the arachnids. <laughs> yeah. You know, so. And I just, yeah, I don't know. It was fun. What, did, were you just generally... Oh, my pro- I, kept, I kept flicking back to Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Yeah, right. And the witch... Science, uh, science of finding witches. Mm. <laughs> so, like this kept hitting them in the <laughs> popping head. up for you. Yeah, but but what I'm actually liking here is that there's no. I mean, this is a strange thing to say, but to me, these feel very classic Doctor Who because there's no overriding story arc yet that we mm. can see. They're all very episode by episode. Yeah. yeah. Now we might, you know, we might get to the ultimate episode and suddenly everything comes back. Yeah, exactly. That's possible. It's Doctor Who; they can do that. Because there's been no two parters or anything. No. When do they usually? They usually have at least one two parter. They don't have to have them, but they often do. Mm. You know. So, but there's like I said, there's no ongoing sort of momentum from the past or anything. It, yeah. it feels very much like, uh, like a not a reboot, 
but but a show that's um, that's so confident about its past doesn't have to mention it every five minutes. Yeah, yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, I in that I don't feel there's very much that I come to and go, oh, is there a meaning behind that, or should I be putting that together with something? Mm. I've I don't think there's anything that's actually yet yeah, too much of a throwback to previous seasons. No, yet, no, yet. All right, well, let's um, go to a track here called The Witches. Mm-hmm. And this is actually the soundtrack from the uh, Nicholas Rogue movie mm-hmm. with uh, Angelica Huston. Yes. Uh, oh. The um, Henson uh, workshop, uh, Creature Shop worked on the uh, all the puppets and the prosthetics for this one. Cool. 1990s. I'm Terry Pratchett, the undeservedly famous author of the Discworld novels, so you can believe me when I say that Zero G on 3 R is the finest science fiction and fantasy show this side of the black stump. I also think Dibbler's delicious pork sausages are the finest eating anywhere, anywhere in the world, so you know you can trust me on this. Ha 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 ha, with three exclamation marks. Yeah, it's a bit there with... Um the Witches the soundtrack from the 1990s movie with Witches. Yeah, do you like that one? <laughs> the movie? Yeah. yeah, I loved it at the time. It was very quirky. We'll talk about that in due course, actually. Excellent. Um, Nicholas Rogue. In the past days, several important filmmakers have died, including British director Nicholas Rogue. Italian director Bernardo Bertolucci and the Japanese director Isao Takahata, ah. the last also being the co-founder of Studio Ghibli. He directed uh, Graveyard of the Fireflies, Only Yesterday, Pompoko, My Neighbours, The Amadas, and his final film was, uh, as a director was The Tale of the Princess Kaguya. We also heard that uh, actor Ken Berry and screenwriter Gloria Katz have also passed away. Um, Berry was the uh, in the Cat from Outer Space, uh, <laughs> Herbie Rides Again, so genre movies, yeah, and the Wild West comedy television series F Troop, where he was um, the troop's commander, Captain Wilton Palmer. And um, Gloria Katz was George Lucas's script doctor. Mm. Um, American Graffiti, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, Howard the Duck. Well, she failed there, didn't <laughs> she? Well, maybe she didn't, you know. But she's gone too. Um, so on today's show, we're going to zero G in on the works of Nicholas Rogue, who had several directly relevant genre films to his credit. Mm. Uh, and I knew less about this director than I should have known. Really, having lived through the 1970s. <laughs> I, uh, I studied him at uni. Oh, really? Yeah, so that was when I first watched Don't Look Now um, mm-hmm. as part of a course I was doing. Yeah. Um, and obviously I'd seen a lot of his films I didn't actually realise were his films, mm. um, which, yeah, was quite interesting. He's definitely... Um, He's a really interesting director, I think. I yeah. think taking a good look at his work is and, and a highly a influential one. Yeah, very much so. Okay, he was born in North London in 1928. Um, his father was in the diamond trade, and uh, but his investments failed in South Africa, so mm. you know it weren't all that well off. Uh, and Rogue said that he entered the film industry because there was a studio across the road from his house. <laughs> so it's like, I okay. can't. And he's actually one of those um, guys. He, uh, he, he did uh, national service in 1947. After he'd done that, he became a T-boy at the studios and then a clapper loader 
and which is like you know bottom sort of, of the yeah because isn't it, isn't it that thing that they yeah they, you just like the put the snap like the yeah. start of the thing yeah. yeah so and he did the um, camera operating and so worked his way up from mm. like tea trolley onwards uh, worked on um, some films and this is the Sundowners that's a, a film set in Australia mm-hmm. uh, and he seems to have had intersected with Australia along the way yeah right quite a bit uh, second unit cinematographer on Lawrence of Arabia. Uh, in 1962 and worked on Dr. Zhivago, except he got fired from that. <laughs> so didn't quite work on that one. Um, but also uh, he's got credits for Roger Corman's The Mask of the Red Death, uh, Francois Truffaut's Fahrenheit 451, ah. uh, Richard Lester's uh, Petulia. And so, you know, these are, these are quite considerable credits. Other films include um, Dr. Crippen, um, and a funny thing happened on the way to the forum, which is one of my all-time favourite films. Oh wow! Yes, yeah, I, I um, uh, was an usher for the theatre performance of that, so I saw that like five times a week <laughs> Where? for a couple of months. Her Majesty's Theatre here in Melbourne. It was a few years ago when I first moved here. I went to see that there. Did you? I probably ushered you, Rob. Yeah, before you probably we did. Met. How about that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that performance that- had uh, Jeffrey Rush in it. Yes. Yeah, yeah, I remember that one. Oh, how funny. I probably yeah, didn't show you to yeah, your seat. Yeah. Or else you told me off for being late. I said, put your phone away, Rob. No, you probably did not say <laughs> put your phone away. Because I know you don't have away. a phone. Might have been a sonic screwdriver <laughs> or something. Okay. So there you go. That's a little bit of a, a digression there. But he, he did a lot of um, a lot of cinematography and, mm. and, and also on some of his own films. Uh, yeah. Obviously had a great contribution to that. We'll get to some of those then. So um, the first film that he directed really was uh, Performance and he worked with um, Donald Kamel in that one too uh, on the uh, direction of it. Uh, and it's about a, a a young thug gangster in London mm-hmm. who's um, for various reasons, and I only watched this the other day for the first time, and I'm surprised I hadn't actually seen it before. For various reasons, he ends up uh, on the run from his boss. Okay. He's, he's done things. He's gone too far, basically, Yeah. in the um, commission of a crime. And the heat is on. He's hunted by, probably, possibly by police as well as his, um, his uh, gangland boss. And he ends up um, going into digs with uh, a rock star hmm. who's got his own little sort of setup. Mick Jagger plays the rock star. Interesting. Mm. And they were going to originally get um, Marlon Brando to play the gangster, but it actually it landed up with James Fox. Okay. So this is actually, to me, I could actually see Michael Caine playing the same part. Because he's like <laughs> this, this young, intense, quite dangerous hoodlum. Yeah. Uh, suddenly falling into this absolutely, completely swinging 60s decadent rock star's pad. Yeah, right. He's, he's got a couple of groupies and, you know, it's all depraved and <laughs> rock and roll, sex, drugs, the whole thing. Yep, the whole shebang. And it actually begins to alter the thug's identity. Okay. Yeah, so he goes in there as this, like, highly motivated individual. Uh, and you know what they say about highly motivated individuals. Mount, Mount Everest is full of their corpses, <laughs> you know. And, uh, do they say that? They do, actually. Well, I just said it. <laughs> I've seen a meme, I'm sure. Yeah. Anyway, um, so this this film, 
has a lot of the tropes that uh, mm. Rogue would later use in a lot of his other films. Uh, controversial sex scenes, mm-hmm. um, uh, straightforward violence. Uh, because it's in the 1970s, it's 1970s cinema blood, which is terribly red. Excellent. <laughs> oh, yeah, that kind of very, yeah, bright red bit too thin or a bit too thick. He actually has a great line, this thug, when he talks to Mick Jagger at one stage. He says, you're a comical little geezer. You'll look funny when you're 50. (laughs) (laughs) Prophecy. Mm. (laughs) Um, There's a lot of things in this, like, as as I was saying, uh, identity issues, transformation of identity, Mm. and the final couple of shots in this, which I won't spoil, um, but have a look at at what's happened to him by the time he gets to the end of the film, the thug. there's a famous scene where um, Jagger is dancing with a fluorescent light tube, which ends up in other films as well. Hmm. Um, and the whole gangster thing I, I thought was quite uh, well done. There's a lot of choppy editing, which yeah. Rogue become famous for. Um, the film opens f- with um, a, a shot of a, a an American spy plane, the SRN-71 Blackbird, flying by at great speed. Just gives you a bit of a context of what era you're in yeah, as right. well. Um, and the, the soundtrack too goes into electronic overload, at, uh, the stress moments. Yeah. And also, of course, just using Mick Jagger, Rogue loved to use um, rock stars and musicians in his, his, his films as actors. Um, and I'm wondering why he did that. But and not knowing, for, um, apart from the fact that it's obviously very... Um, Cinematic and very, you know, the star factor there. It, I reckon it, it helps because they bring the the baggage of creativity to the role mm. of real creativity beyond being. And I don't mean that acting is fake creativity, but it is. But you know what I mean. Somebody's yeah. actually got a whole body of work before. Yeah, that's true. Like kind of a genuine. Yeah, that kind of genuine layer. Mm, mm. So. Uh, Check out performance. It's a strange one. Um, can be hard to find. I uh, actually watched it on Filmstruck before it just closed up <coughs> before the weekend. So, you know. Oh. So, yeah. Um, so that one's, that one's well worth checking out. There are other, th- other things that we'll get onto as we go along. Now, um, I thought we'd play a track here uh, because The Man Who Fell to Earth. Mm-hmm. It's like, you know, Ziggy Stardust sort of things going on there, and that's a rogue film. Um, and I thought we'd go with Lady Stardust, the uh, remastered version from The Rise and Fall of Ziggy Stardust and The Spiders from Mars is our Bowie track today. This is Neil Gaiman in the dangerous alphabet zero, G comes last, Z waits alone, and it's not for a thing. Lady Stardust there, David Bowie, The Rise and Fall of Ziggy Stardust. It's all about the performance with Mr Bowie. That was the first Bowie album that I bought. Really? Mm-hmm. Oh. I bought that, I've bought that twice and lost it twice <laughs> on CD. <laughs> I have that on vinyl too. Now, who was I talking to? You know, this is something about um, geekdom, mm. right? Uh, I've developed this habit, and maybe it's because I've been doing um, Zero G for so long and interviewing people and stuff. Uh, whenever I meet new people, I play a little game of myself, I see if I can bring out the inner geek. Mm. Sometimes it's not too deep. Yeah. So, and it, it's, it can it, be quite easy. <laughs> it can be quite easy, and it's usually not, not that difficult because I envisage geekdom as, as being an encompassing thing, including any sort of fandom, really. Exactly, just being very passionate about something. You know, if they talk about, if they say, oh, well, golf is my passion, I'm going to pretty much 
tune out fairly quickly unless they bring up Caddyshack, <laughs> you know. But, but that's, that's the thing. Yeah. So everyone's got something. And I was talking to a guy because we – I feel awful about this. We had to evict a possum, or relocate a possum. Uh, you can't, you can't, because they're they're protected species and they're cute anyway. Yes, you don't want yeah, to do anything yeah, to no. them, but you but you just don't want them in your home either. It was it was in my roller door. Oh, in the core of the roller door. Oh, uh, yeah, was, okay. It can't was a live bit in of there. A, well, it was there for a couple of months. We decided finally we had to move it on because it was just so awkward and it was, yeah. pro- it was getting dizzy. <laughs> and I could not, for the life of me, train it to open the roller door. I know, so it wasn't even being useful even with being itself. Useful. So we got one of the Possum Busters guy, guys in, he's a guy called Brett, and as we were talking about um, um, what we're going to do, we're putting up a possum box, and mm. that was the main yeah. thing of it, put a possum box there and, and lure him out at night, that sort of thing. Uh, and I was talking to him, and it turns out that he make, he, he has made ceramic dragons. Oh! So, you know, so what I'm saying here is, uh, with this little ramble, is go out and talk to people and interrogate them. No, ask some some questions. Yeah. Just uh, find out what their passion is, their geek, their geekdom is, because everybody has something. Anyway, um, speaking of that, because I I, I didn't just throw that in there for no reason, Um, this is what happened with me, with um, Nicholas Rogue. I've seen a few of his films. Mm-hmm. He passed away. I was doing the usual sort of um, um, retrospective look and then started watching some of the other films I hadn't watched. Yeah. And finding out all the things that I didn't know about him. Uh, and, and so it's a kind of a privilege, really. I had this little retrospective film festival about Rogue. Um, okay, so the, we, we talked about uh, performance and... Um, Oh, I wanted to mention that one of the actors, two of the actors in in that, uh, so Mick Jagger, who in that same year did um, um, Gimme Shelter mm-hmm. and Ned Kelly as well when he came down here to do that. I kind of like that. Gosh, there are some weird things that exist that... And Zero G is the place where they exist. <laughs> uh, Anita Pallenberg um, played one of the groupies. She was actually the uh, the romantic muse for the Rolling Stones, apparently. The romantic and, muse. Yeah, and, and partnered up with Brian Jones and uh, Keith Richards. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's a whole thing there. Um, actually had three children with Keith Richards. Ah. But for me, her important part, because, you know, for me, the Rolling Stones, I barely know them. You know, it's <laughs> like, you know, um, to me, they're um, a, a family of spacefaring um, children in a Robert Heinlein book. <laughs> That's where I, I But you would have it. heard plenty of their stuff in film and TV, though. Probably, but not knowing it. Yeah, interesting. In fact, I had to look up, if I didn't know Mick Jagger from Ned Kelly, yeah. you know, it's just like, you know. But I anyway, don't think anyone else has ever said that sentence. <laughs> Anita Pallenberg is uh, the Black Queen in the Barbarella movie. Oh, yeah. And uh, also in the um, 444 Last Day on Earth um, film as well, oh. Abel Ferrara. Okay. Um, she had this sort of strange little career that intersected. Yeah, But I also saw Anthony Valentine in performance, um, who was um, Toby Mears in Callan. Uh, which was a spy series of Edward Woodward that meant a whole lot to me. Uh, and so, you know, all these little things that when you go back to see a 70s movie, there's a time capsule that sort of blossoms out for yes, me. Yes, very much. Uh, 71, Nicholas Rogue directed Walkabout in mm-hmm. Australia with um, um, Jenny Logan Ru- Logan's run Agatha and David Gulpilil. Yes, well, yeah. Who um, I cannot help but um, associate with Storm Boy. 
you know that film with the uh, oh. Mr. Percival. The, yeah, yeah. Uh, what is it? A pelican or something like that? Or yeah, something. No, not oh, a pelican. I don't really no. remember that film big at bird all. Big bird with a big crop. Burn. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> but I associate it with that. But Walkabout's um, another one of those films that that stands out mm. as being influential. Uh, especially since it's the um, one of those seminal uh, Australian New Wave films from the yeah. 70s, so it's like one of the first ones there. Definite classic that, yeah. Where the environment itself is the character. Yeah. A major character. One of those. And Nicholas Rogue did the cinematography for that one too, for his own film. Mm-hmm. So very important film, that one. But I won't dwell upon that because that's more mainstream in yeah. several ways. Uh, Glastonbury Fair, which is co-directed with Peter Neal in 1972, which is kind of a documentary about mm-hmm. the Glast- Glastonbury um, Festival. Uh, and then the next film I want to look at, or maybe I shouldn't look at it because it's called Don't Look Now. Ugh. In 1973. Yeah. So, so it's adapted from a short story by Daphne du Maurier. Yep. Uh, stars Julie Christie, who was in Fahrenheit 451, which Rogue did the cinematography for, and Donald Sutherland. Yes. So, okay. The original Watcher. The original Watcher. Oh, well picked <laughs> from Buffy, yes, yeah. from the Buffy the movie. movie. Yeah. Uh, what was his character in that? Merrick. Merrick. Merrick, yeah. And uh, we've seen... Um, Julie Christie in a movie called Demon Seed about a rogue household computer Uh, and she's also been in um, a few other things where she's played little bits of genre role like um, Braveheart, sorry not Braveheart, Dragonheart Mm -hmm. Uh, and uh, she was in Troy uh, playing I think the goddess Thetis and Harry Potter she was um, Madame Rose Murta in Harry yes. Potter and the Prisoner of... I just recently watched Prisoner of Azkaban, Azkaban and I hadn't clicked on that. And then I was like, oh, it's Julie Christie. When I play country quiz games online, which I do for some reason, <laughs> I keep putting in Azkaban as a, a country. <laughs> I've also been known to write oh, Wak- Wakanda and oh, really? Latveria as well. So these things just get in your head. <laughs> Donald Sutherland, Invasion of the Body Snatchers, the remake, yes. Hunger Games, President Snow. Uh, Space, oh, we did such a good job at that. Space Cowboys, uh, Buffy, as we said, the original one, and Salem's Lot, the remake. Yes. Uh, so been around for yonks more than that massive amounts, but here he is playing an architect. With wig. With a wig? Has he got a wig? That's a wig. That's a curly wig. Oh, okay. I, I did not, didn't pick it. Um, and he, his wife is Julie Christie in this in this film. They suffer a family tragedy earlier on. Mm-hmm. Early on in the film, their daughter drowns in the local pond. Yes, um, she's wearing a red Macintosh, a red yep. raincoat, and this is significant throughout the film visually and throughout cinema history <laughs> thereafter. Yes. Yeah. So. Um, they've put this down as a psychic thriller. It, it released originally in 1973 as the main feature of a double, double bill alongside The Wicker Man. Yes. To another great um, fantasy horror film. Not the Nicolas Cage one. No. <laughs> the OG Wicker the, Man, yeah. Yeah, the original one. Uh, what did you say? OG? Yeah, yeah. That's the zero G one. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so um, there, there's, he goes. they go to Venice... Mm-hmm. to recuperate, which is a strange thing to do if you've lost a daughter by drowning. I mean... The city of canals. There's definitely some kind of... That's meaningful in some way. <laughs> and, and things also pickle in terms of those canals. There are bodies pulled out of the river, out of the canals. And there's a lot of questions around what elements of this film I think are real. Yes. And also 
different, yeah, stitching things together about timing and things like that. Mm-hmm. I've read some interesting theories about the film. And also, uh, again, identity is quite important in this film. Yes. Very oh, important. yeah. And yeah. key towards the end. And it is largely about grief, I think. I actually don't feel like spoiling it. Because even though it's 1970s, um, yeah. I, had, I had never seen this before. And I do think it's something that if you've not seen it and now you just you, your interest has been um, stirred up based on, you know, Rogue's passing, then and you were thinking of watching this, then maybe we shouldn't ruin it. No. That might be. I mean, there's a reason why it gets lumped in as a horror or a thriller mm-hmm. and you're not really going to know why that is for a, long, for a large significant chunk of the film. Mm. So, yeah, Don't Look Now is the name of the film. Uh, I actually got this one off um, iTunes Movies. Actually. Oh, yeah. So I just rented so it So it is there. available. Yeah, sure. Uh, you know, get it in HD, though, because it's it's quite well filmed. Oh. Lens, the cinematography uh, will, will afford a nice, expansive, sort of rich palette for you. Oh, the ending. Ugh. Yeah, the ending is uh, I, I unpacked it um, and, and figured it out after I'd seen it and go, oh, I see, this is there and there. And you actually get some shots with a bit of a montage of the funeral montage that explains what's some of the It leaks. helps out with sort of back, looking back and piecing things together. Hmm. Uh, Danny Boyle, Mark Gattis, um, the, uh, also the creator of American Horror Story, has cited this film as a, an important horror movie. It is, uh, Amongst other I people. Think. So here we've got performance, which has got its own sort of... Um, uh, cult following uh, Walkabout which is another important film uh, this one here um, Don't Look Now is a horror movie so this guy's mm. actually done a bit of a not an entirely a Kubrick or anything but he's become a little bit genre defining as he yeah. goes along I think Don't Look Now is definitely like a pivotal film in terms of what it's doing and what it's influenced after mm. um and there's moments like when he pulls his daughter out of the pond, the primal scream of anguish yeah. that he gives, it, it just goes right through you. That's absolutely like that scene I think is often talked about in terms of just the rawness of that mm. in, in what it's doing. And I think there's a, that's a large... I mean, the acting in this, it really hangs on mm. Julie Christie and Donald Sutherland and obviously they do a really great job. They have job. great chemistry, maybe perhaps <laughs> a little bit too much, the controversial sex scene in this. Yes, you know, of course. Um, that had to be cut together with non-sexual footage. With them getting dressed afterwards. Yeah, to make it le- less uh, screen time chunks. He had the same similar controversy with one in performance with Mick Jagger mm. and, you know, Anita Pallenberg as well. It's so the 70s. It's the 70s, <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, they're, they're not prudish then. <laughs> uh, okay, now uh, beyond that movie, we go mm. into The Man Who Fell to Earth in 1976. Yes, which I think we've discussed a little bit. We have discussed bit, before, yeah. so we won't do it again, but that's the Bowie yes, of course. connection. And once again, another uh, really important science fiction film. For any slightly surreal or very surreal science fiction film, the one you'd screen for your uh, cast to give you an idea of what you want, where you want to go, <laughs> The Man Who Fell to Earth. <laughs> yeah. Definitely. And, again, very influential, that film. And here's a Buffy link to that one too. The uh, female lead in The Man Who Fell to Earth, Candy Clark, plays a character called uh, Mary Lou. She's Buffy's mum in the 1992 Buffy the Vampire Slayer movie. Oh, I don't even remember the mum from that movie. <laughs> no, exactly. <laughs> uh, and for an even odder um, connection, Buck Henry is a character in this f- Man Who Fell to Earth who was also the co-creator of Go- Get Smart and Quark oh. and was in the Bowie film in 1991, The Linguini Incident. 
<laughs> yeah, which we also have covered. We've also we covered, covered so we can we'll just puddle past those. Even is it is it is you know probably the zero G Nicholas Rogue film to talk yes, about. Yes, but we've we've, we've, we've talked about that. that and been quite again influential in all sorts of ways. Philip K. Dick's science fiction novel Valus, uh, also. Um, uh, Dr. Manhattan's apartment in um, the 2009 film Watchmen. They based it on the set oh. of The Man Who Fell to Earth. Did you know, they? Michael Fassbinder channeling uh, David in Ridley Scott's Prometheus. Yes. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and this is like, it's so much of it. So we'll, uh, we'll roll on from that. And uh, we'll have a little track mm-hmm. here. I think we'll play... Um, for 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 uh, the uh, no for a reason I said to play some more um, tracks from other films as well just to take us out a little bit of this oh no actually we'll go with this one sorry uh, one two three four track number four on our listing today um, Sophie Ellis Baxter Trip the Light fantastic did a song called Catch You which riffs off um, Don't Look Now. Uh, visually too so if you check out the um, the music video Hi this is Michael Palin and right now you are lucky enough to be listening to 102.73 Triple R FM Okay Rob Jan and Megan McHugh and here we're just in the wrap up of uh, Zero G for today we've been talking about some of Nicholas Rogue's films a director who's just passed away recently and going on a little bit of a cinematic um, exploration, a bit of a retrospective on some of his films. And I actually want to continue this a bit next week because um, I've watched one called Insignificance, a 1985 film, which is about um, a meeting between... an assignation between Albert Einstein and Marilyn Monroe um, with interference run by Joe DiMaggio, Marilyn's Mm then-husband, and um, Senator Joe McCarthy, Oh, interesting. Uh, it's a, an adaptation of a play and it's set during the filming of The Seven Year Itch, one of Marilyn's great films. Oh. And it's a weird one. And whenever you run Nicholas Rogue over the top of that... So it's it's weird and gets weirder. Yeah, exactly. And I, I definitely want to do that one, have a look at that next week. Of course, Nicholas Rogue also did uh, The Witches in 1990. Yes. The Henson... Um, uh, kind of a uh, worked on film adaptation of a Roald Dahl story. We used to watch that at school, like, you know, if there was ever a reason to watch a movie or, like, the afternoon there was a relief teacher or something, we'd watch episodes of Mr Bean or The Witches. <laughs> and The Witches has Mr Bean in it. Does it? It is. Ah. Rowan Atkinson plays the hotel manager. The Witches is actually, like, a pretty <laughs> singularly freaky film if you're a kid. It is. Um, and we might talk about that next week. I think, yeah. Sure. It's one of Dahl's more sinister works. Mm. Doesn't end the same way in the film as it does in the... Uh, the book. The book. And Dahl had some issues with that. Yeah. Uh, but they just sailed on anyway. <laughs> Jim Henson said, don't mess us up on this. Yeah. Said, no. We're the creatives. Yeah. Uh, there's another film called Puffball, his last, Nicholas Rogue's last film uh, in 2007, which is also a supernatural drama fig- film, including um, Donald Sutherland again. Mm-hmm. So, if, you know, full circle. They were, I think they were... Um, he named his son after Rogue. Uh, so I'm going to go and watch that. Yes, he did. That's right. He, he named his son after him. Uh, I'll go and watch that one too. So a couple of films that I want to visit next week. But it's, it's quite amazing, this body of work that this guy's produced. They're all very seminal, influential films. I'm quite intrigued by that Insignificance mm. film. Let's see if mm. I can find that somewhere. Mm. 
All right, well, um, that's been it for Zero G (gasps) today. And uh, we will go out with a track called E E equals MC squared, if I can manage to croak that out. (laughs) It's by Big Audio Dynamite. And this is, again, referencing the films of Nicholas Mm Roeg. And since Albert Einstein is in that uh, Insignificance film... It all comes together. And E equals MC squared is very important in that film too, by the way. Uh, all right, that's it for Zero G. What do we do next week? We think we're going to... I think we'll do The Crimes of Grindelwald. I'm which... glad you said that. <laughs> Rob looks to me, please say the title, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, yes, the latest in the Fantastic Beasts, J.K. Rowling's Wizarding World, you know, all those things, they pile on top. But the latest in that series, so I might trot along to see that. Um I've been less excited about that one, even though the trailer does look good. So we'll we'll mm. run through that. Um, Joe Bernadette is not coming up next with Astral Glamour and uh, got a replacement in today. And um, I'm also uh, wanted to thank uh, Kayla Larson, our podcaster. Yes, thanks, Kayla. Doing, doing such a good job. And um, a listener, Steve um, Lee, rang up. Or not rang up. He uh, sent me some um, information about some previous, some older podcasts which were not being validated properly when he was looking at them on one of the uh, online sites, um, which had something to do with the um, the subtitling that we use, the meta, ah, metadata. the tags, yeah, 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 yeah. So thank you for pointing that out, and um, hopefully we won't be making that same mistake in future. Um, so, yeah, okay, lots of listener interaction there. <laughs> and Oh, a little tiny bit of news. Yes. Preacher Season 4 mm. has moved production to Docklands. Ooh. So, wow. How I cool would is like that? to see Dominic around the streets. I'd Wouldn't like to see him about that. in the studio. Mm. Mm. Anyway, okay, so let's um, move on then. That's it for Zero G. Thank you, Megan. Thank you, Rob. This has been a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. Want to hear more? Check out our website at rrr.org.au.